entire watch. I don't think you ever expect it to come close, but it's one of those things you, you have in the back of your mind. More evacuations in the Carameas Creek fire and a warning about the provincial picture to come. Plus, tragic delay. Any time that uh, there's reports of an ambulance not getting somebody in their time of need, sounds like a tragic situation. An urgent call for help that came too late. And rink rage, the on-under investigation by RCMP. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Breaking details in the Karameas Creek wildfire. The evacuation order has expanded for the community of Olala. 162 more properties on the west side of Highway 3A are also now affected. The latest development driving home the point that wildfire activity can change quickly, especially as the weather heats up again. Kylie Stanton has the latest on the situation and the risk across the province. Please save our home. Loading the car. Please. While fighting back tears. It's, it's scary. We're afraid. Please, everybody, prayers. We went through this last year, and if our place burns down, then, you know... The possibility, now all too real. I've never been around forest fires this close before. Uh, it's sad. Their homes near Olala, bordering the Karameas Creek fire, are just some of the roughly 600 properties currently under an evacuation order in the Okanagan smelt mean. This one here. As the province's wildfire season starts to rage. People are very concerned continuously in regards to their paths to safety. It's a... Uh, ever-evolving and very fast-changing event. And this is just the beginning. We all need to be informed, be safe, and be prepared. On Thursday, the provincial government provided an outlook of what lies ahead. There are now six fires of note burning across the province. 154 have started within the last week, nearly three-quarters of which were caused by lightning. What's likely to continue with the above-average temperatures expected through August and early September. It's clear that there has been a significant shift in our weather from the cool, wet conditions we experienced in May and June that kept wildfire activity to a minimum. The late start to the season is evident here. So far this year, 528 fires have burned a total of 22,000 hectares. Compare that to the same time last year, where more than 13,000 fires had burned nearly 25 times that amount. And there's still a long way to go before we hit the 20-year average, just shy of 114,000 hectares. But that doesn't mean crews are backing down. There's still growth that's going on. It's still an uncontrolled fire, um, very much an interface fire. When you look at the fire and, and where residents, uh, residences are and where ranches are, where the resort is, you know, we've got stuff sort of on uh, different edges of the fire that we're uh, obviously having to focus on. Planned ignitions were successful here, reinforcing the containment lines from Highway 3A. Crews will be patrolling the completed burn, but there's no word on when residents will be cleared to return home. We all got to go now. And what they'll be returning to remains very much up in the air. Please, prayers, prayers. Kylie Stanton, please. Global News. And just a correction to those breaking details. I mentioned that the west side of Highway 3A in Olala. That was uh, put under evacuation order earlier today. This latest evacuation order now includes the east side of Highway 3, 
3A in Olala. Now, with 150 plus properties now added to the list, it is very challenging to find rooms for evacuees. So if you are among those affected and you can stay with family or friends, officials ask that you do so. Also, the Emergency Support Services Centre at Princess Margaret School in Penticton will remain open as long as it's needed. And if you are an evacuee and you have COVID-19, you are asked not to go straight there, but to call ahead 250-328-8749. And of course, we'll keep on top of the situation and bring you updates as they become available. Now, while we are experiencing a bit of a break from the heat, it has been gusty in areas. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon Gordon joins us with more on that. Christy. Sophie, a cold front swung through the province today. We saw gusty winds and more lightning strikes, but it came with welcomed rain and cooler conditions and a lot of cloud cover today. But it's not going to last long. Starting tomorrow, we are right back into a ridge of high pressure that's going to hold strong for the next five days and temperatures are going to soar. Here's a look. So staying a little on the cool side again tomorrow, we'll see a northerly wind. But by the weekend, we're talking about upper 30s. The other issue issue with an upper level ridge. Not only is it going to be heat, but we get that smoke trapped in the valleys. Tough for residents as well as it's tough for the forest fire fight. So back to you. Thanks for that, Christy. Here is a snapshot now of the current situation in our province. There are currently 59 active wildfires burning in B.C., 17 of which were sparked in the last two days. 42 of the active fires were caused by lightning, and there are six wildfires of note. Now, multiple campfire bans are coming into effect today in B.C. The bans will begin at noon today, or they did begin at noon today, in the Southeast Fire Centre, Coastal Fire Centre and Kamloops Fire Centre. A campfire is defined as any fire that's no more than half a metre tall and wide and is used recreationally or by a First Nation for ceremonial purposes. Larger Category 2 and 3 open flame fires have already been prohibited in those areas. All right, now to a heartbreaking incident in Surrey, which is raising more questions about the province's ailing health care system and the impact of 911 delays. First responders desperately tried to save a patient who'd been critically injured during a mental health crisis. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, the man died after waiting almost half an hour for an ambulance. It was an urgent 911 call from Surrey. A man suffering a mental health crisis had stabbed himself and was bleeding profusely. Police and firefighters did everything they could to save him, but an ambulance didn't arrive for approximately half an hour, and the man died. This is absolutely tragic, and the fact that we saw an ambulance wait time of that length to get to this situation, to me, shows that this is, uh, this is a system that is in complete chaos right now. The incident occurred in a home near 158th Street and 86th Avenue, July 27th. In response to questions, BC Emergency Health Services confirmed to Global News they received a call at 6 p.m. Paramedic ground crews were assigned at 6.22 p.m., with the first ambulance arriving at 6.27 and the second at 6.28. That's very disturbing, and uh, particularly it uh, sounds like uh, it was a, uh, an extended delay that would be not normal in these high-acuity calls, such as a serious call like uh, a stabbing or bleeding or any of the highest of calls that... Uh, require immediate interventions. Members of the Surrey RCMP, who were among those who desperately tried to keep the person alive, 
were left traumatized by the call. At the end of the day, we are all human, and incidents like this one do leave a lasting impact. A person suffering an extreme mental health crisis, now dead. It's unclear if he could have been saved, but it's yet another tragic case highlighting BC's strained ambulance system. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, young kids in B.C. became eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine as of Tuesday this week. But the province says the uptake so far has been low. Only a small percentage of children aged six months to five years old have been registered in the Get Vaccinated online system. And that's raising concern among health professionals. Richard Zussman has more. This is the smiling face of one of the first babies to be vaccinated in British Columbia. For us, it was an easy decision because we really want her to be protected as possible from COVID. On Wednesday, Sadie Silverthane got her COVID-19 shot. No side effects for the nine-month-old, except two happy parents. We've been so fortunate and lucky that Sadie has been a very happy, healthy little baby. And so it's also about, for us, protecting vulnerable members of our community. But not everyone is as proactive as this family. The pediatric vaccine program for those from six months to five years desperately needing a shot in the arm. So far, just 14,675 kids have registered through the Get Vaccinated website out of 210,000 eligible children, making up just 7%. Not surprisingly, um, the biggest concern that people have is about safety. So many uh, parents want to watch and wait and, and see what happens with the vaccine. The province fighting an uphill battle. Most people in summer mode, COVID-19 in the rearview mirror. There has been a consistent message of COVID being less severe in children and vaccine myths about harm have festered on social media. Safety was, was fantastic. Understanding that only 7,000 children were studied. Uh, there were no long-term side effects, no cases of heart inflammation, no serious side effects of any kind. Although this vaccine is new, it has been available for those 5 to 11 since November, and rates in this demographic low as well. 58% of those elementary age kids have one dose of a COVID vaccine, and just under 46% have two. All of us across the country would like to get that higher because we know it's really important. And so this is the time to start thinking about that. Start thinking about, you know, back to, to the routines that we'll be getting into in September. The province hoping the slow crawl to get the pediatric vaccine goes to baby steps and eventually a full-out sprint to get the shot. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on vaccinations. Keith, where are we at with vaccinations? I mean, there is obviously some hesitancy uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to littles. We've seen the numbers there. So who is getting vaccinated now? Yeah, it's quite interesting to watch the pattern of vaccination change through the pandemic. Right now, we've sort of hit a wall when it comes to people getting their first or second dose. We're inching along with third doses, only about 62%. Where the lion's share of vaccinations each and every day and every week is fourth doses, people getting their second doses. Uh, again, here's the numbers for five, uh, preceding six days. The lion's share, 70% of the vaccinations have been fourth doses, more than 12,000. Third doses continue to inch along, 17% of the total, but still not very high. As 
I say, first and second dose is still very low. The good news is when it comes to first and second doses, about 94% of us have received one or two doses. There are two doses. About 62% have received three doses. And the lion's share of people getting fourth doses right now, 91% are people over the age of 60. That will change over time, Sophie, as people who are in their 40s and 50s are going to start getting notifications. Now they are eligible to get their fourth dose. So fourth dose, by far the workhorse right now when it comes to vaccinations. Tomorrow we're going to get an update from public health on the monkeypox virus. Today, today the United States declared a public health emergency with monkeypox. Uh, it is spreading quite quickly and rapidly down south of the border. Washington State is reporting the monkeypox numbers are doubling every week. Uh, we'll get an update on the number of cases we have in B.C. tomorrow. 61 was the number last week. We'll also get an update on how much vaccine is arriving in B.C. to combat that virus. That's all tomorrow. Okay, we'll look for that tomorrow. Thank you, Keith. Well, new research from the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada suggests many Canadians are treading water financially after more than two years of COVID and economic turmoil. One in four Canadians surveyed in the Thriving or Surviving study feel worse off financially than they did a year ago. 34% are optimistic they'll be better off financially a year from now. The financial stress level remains high with 65% of respondents agreeing they worry about money. Ipsos conducted a survey of 2,000 Canadians this past spring on behalf of the CPA. Kelowna's current housing market is having a direct impact on the RCMP's ability to recruit officers to the city. We uh, were impacted in that housing prices were not affordable and we could only draw from those who owned houses uh, who had the means to afford to live here but also those who um, were able to come from the lower mainland and so we've had to work very closely as a division to reprioritize how we staff Kelowna. Usually, the RCMP recruits officers who have recently been posted in the northern regions of the province and those in smaller detachments as well. However, rapidly rising real estate prices have forced the RCMP to change their recruiting strategy. The city of Kelowna says it is aware of the issues and they are working to create a solution. RCMP officers are just like everyone else, and certainly affordability is an issue. Um, I also know that um, up until the recent increase in pay for RCMP, I'm sure that also um, you know, played a factor in, in somebody becoming an RCMP officer or choosing to be a municipal police officer somewhere else. Um, but yeah, affordability is, is certainly a, a concern. RCMP say not all positions are filled in Kelowna at the moment, and they are bringing in resources in an effort to recruit more members. Well, the check is in the mail if you own a vehicle insured through ICBC. The insurance corporation says it has mailed 2.8 million rebate checks to British Columbians. The rebates were announced back in March as a way to fight high gas prices. Most drivers are getting $110, with commercial drivers getting up to $165. The total cost of the rebate will be just under $400 million. A recent rec league hockey game is getting a lot of attention for all the wrong reasons. Video of an on-ice brawl at the Scotia Barn in Burnaby showing one player appearing to kick another player in the head with his skate. How the league and RCMP are reacting in just over a minute. He spread false claims about the Sandy Hook school massacre. And now Alex Jones will have to pay for it. That's coming up later. Also tonight, after a pandemic pause, the return of the Abbotsford Air Show, the crowd favorite that won't be making a comeback this year. 
Right now, though, RCMP are investigating an ugly fight at a recent rec hockey game in Burnaby. As Rumina Dea reports, the incident caught on video appears to show a kick to the head with a skate. The violent incident took place on the ice July 29th at Scotia Barn in Burnaby, formerly known as Eight Rinks. The fight went down during the third period of a hockey game for an adult league, the ASHL. Moments later, two players are locked in a battle on the ice. The referee is trying to separate them. Then player number 17 appears to kick the other player in the head with his skate. The player who was injured did not have a helmet on at the time. Burnaby RCMP are now investigating. Police say the injuries required medical attention. The league refusing to do an on-camera interview. In a statement, spokesperson Scott Campbell said such acts of aggression have absolutely no place in the ASHL. And the player was rightfully administered with a match penalty and immediate game ejection, which triggered an automatic indefinite suspension. The Mounties are still gathering evidence. No charges have been laid. Global News reached out to the suspended player for comment, but we did not receive a response by deadline. Romina Dea, Global News. Coming up, a popular hiking destination destroyed by fire. This is still on fire. A surprising discovery at Eagle Pass Lookout and the cabin's controversial past. Plus, disappointment for a First Nations dance group the cultural journey they've had to postpone just ahead. Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge after clearing an earlier crash on the Royal Avenue on-ramp to head south. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside the Real Canadian Superstores and Walmarts throughout BC. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. Open 9 to 9 every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. The body of an Oliver man who drowned while trying to save his dog has been found. 41-year-old Tom Dennehy drowned on July 25th. His body located by dive teams around 10.30 in the morning Wednesday. Police confirm his body was in 24 metres of water, about 120 metres from where he was last seen. Investigators say Dennehy was boating in the lake with a friend and playing fetch with his dogs when one of the dogs became distressed. He swam out to help the dog, but ultimately drowned. A popular shoe swap hiking destination at the center of a long-running controversy has burned down. It's unclear what sparked the fire at the Eagle Pass Fire Lookout site, but the blaze is raising new questions about the future of its location. Megan Turcato reports. When you get to the top, August 2nd, 2022. And it burnt down. This is still on fire. On Tuesday, a group of hikers made it to the Eagle Pass Fire Lookout, high on a mountain between Sycamus and Revelstoke, only to find the cabin that had been built on the lookout's historic stone foundation had been reduced to charred ash. So we were shocked because nobody had posted about that. We'd seen pictures uh, recently of it just standing. The hikers ended up using what they could find on site to put out the remaining hotspot. It's a loss for the hiking community for sure. The blaze is only the latest twist in the lookout story. Six years ago, a group of volunteers spent hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars building a cabin on the historic foundation. But the rebuild was unauthorized and the province issued a stop work order. 
Fearing that the cabin would be demolished, 13,000 people signed a petition against tearing it down. So for some, like Sycamus councillor Gord Bushel, news of the fire is devastating. There's people from all over the world uh, that come to the uh, interior of BC to hike to the Eagle Pass lookout. You know, it could have been an eighth wonder of the world. But there had been no final resolution to the fate of the unauthorized cabin before the blaze. Options from rebuilding the fire lookout to replicate the historic original to removing the whole thing had been discussed. But stakeholders say before the fire, the province had yet to take action at the site. Now that the site has burnt, the new question is, what's next? It would be nice to see it rebuilt, and uh, it would be nice to see it done properly uh, with an application and also and some services. Uh, the problem I think Eagle Pass was having was the, the, um, just the, the quantity of people going up there. Ultimately, the Shoeshop Trail Alliance would just like to see care for the land um, as best as we can to be stewards for the area. The province says it has yet to make a decision about the future of structures at the Eagle Pass Fire Lookout site and consultations will continue. Megan Turcato, Global News. A BC First Nations dance group has been forced to cancel its trip to a cultural event in Hawaii due to a funding shortfall. The group from a small Nishka community north of Terrace was set to attend an all-nations powwow in September, but was only able to raise about half of the $160,000 needed. As well, many of the 50 members were still waiting for passports after applying months ago. As a result, the group decided to continue fundraising and postpone the trip until next year. Sharing our, our culture is, is important to me and letting the world know who we are as a people and, you know, and me as an individual, um, where I come from, sharing my story as a part of a group, as a part of a whole, is so unique. The coastal BC First Nation would have been special guests at the Hawaiian Island All Nations powwow, not competing but sharing their culture through song and dance. Coming up, cancer patients looking for a lift. The stress of trying to find transplant can just be overwhelming, and some just give up. How a shortage of volunteers is impacting critical treatment. Also ahead, judgment day for conspiracy theorist Alex Jones on the hook for spreading claims that Sandy Hook was a hoax. All the stories... All the action from all the teams that come to play. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Good evening. Traffic is busy but steady in both directions tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, which is a little bit of extra volume northbound at the south end, as well as eastbound along the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The Canadian Armed Forces will restart its training mission to help new Ukrainian soldiers prepare for the front lines. Operation Unifier was put on hold shortly after the Russian invasion, but the defence minister says it will be up and running by the end of the month. Kyle Benning has more. 
More support announced by Canada's defense minister as the war in Ukraine approaches the six-month mark. Anita Anand says the Canadian Armed Forces will reopen an operation to train new recruits in the Ukrainian army. It is certainly uh, a sign of our enduring commitment to our allies as well as to the longevity of Ukraine itself. Up to 225 military personnel are available to be shipped to England, where large-scale training will resume. They'll be out of Edmonton next week. Project Unifier launched in September 2015 in response to Russia's annexation of Crimea. In that time, the military has trained more than 33,000 Ukrainian soldiers. It was put on hold when Russia invaded the country. This was not an easy decision to make. Meantime, the Foreign Affairs and Natural Resources Ministers took part in a parliamentary committee looking into the government's decision to allow the Nord Stream 1 turbine to be shipped to Europe despite sanctions against Russia. Melanie Jolie says the government had to weigh a number of factors in the decision, like energy access in Western Europe, as well as being blamed for withholding the turbine. These six turbines, we wanted to send them back, not to Russia, but to Germany. So in that case, President Putin wouldn't be able to use these as justification. The Natural Resources Minister says he was in talks with European counterparts about securing access to energy. At the end of the day, for we'll natural resources, you're also responsible you're saying, to make sure that we get more gas from Canada to replace that natural gas coming from Russia. the European Union right now. Um, then you need to be able to explain to the Germans and the French and the Italians how they're going to survive the winter. Jonathan Wilkinson says he was part of talks with European partners and the International Energy Agency to look for alternate ways to move Russian energy to other parts of the continent. He says pushing gas through existing pipelines running through Ukraine was not a viable option. Kyle Benning, Global News. A jury in Austin, Texas, has decided InfoWars host and conspiracy theorist Alex Jones must pay more than $4 million to the family of a Sandy Hook shooting victim. The ruling is for damages Jones owes to compensate the plaintiffs over the false claims he made that the mass shooting was a hoax. The plaintiffs in this case are among several Sandy Hook families who filed lawsuits against Jones, arguing his statements led to years of abuse from his followers. Tomorrow, the jury will consider a punitive fine, which is awarded when the court finds the defendant's behavior to be especially offensive. Twenty children and six adults were shot dead at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut in 2012. North Vancouver RCMP have arrested a retired teacher after receiving multiple allegations of abuse. The retired teacher is now 82 years old and taught at Upper Lynn Valley Elementary School from 1970 to 1982. RCMP say the man was arrested this morning at his home for seven counts of indecent assault against students. RCMP say the bulk of the allegations involve his time at the school and some in the years following his employment there. Police received the initial complaint in June of this year. It's believed there may be additional victims and they are asking them to contact North Vancouver RCMP. We understand this is probably going to be... Uh, you know, a re-traumatizing sort of news for, uh, particularly for any victims who may not have come forward to this point. Uh, we want them to know that we are here. We want to hear their stories. We want to listen to them. We have supports available for them, victim services supports. RCMP say a total of seven victims have come forward, alleged victims have come forward so far. Charges have not yet been approved and the teacher's name has not been released. 
Cancer patients in Kelowna are running into a transportation challenge. The Wheels of Hope driver program, which helps patients get to and from appointments, is facing a shortage of volunteers. As Jaden Wozni reports, they're in desperate need of drivers. The Canadian Cancer Society's Wheels of Hope program connects around 15 to 25 patients a day with a volunteer driver in the interior, who then takes them to the BC Cancer Agency in Kelowna. But the program is feeling the effects of the pandemic and it's impacting their service. We're very low in volunteers, uh, you know, so if there's anyone out there that likes to drive and enjoys helping people and can spare a weekday or half a day or even a few days a month on an ongoing basis, we could really use your help. Khan says the Wheels of Hope program is a service that is critical for so many reasons. First, some cancer patients shouldn't be driving a vehicle after some of their treatments. Uh, they may not have a vehicle or driver's license, um, and some don't even have any friends or family members that are available or have a car. You know, a cancer diagnosis doesn't just affect them, it can affect their whole family. For some patients, not being able to find a lift to their appointment can quite literally be a life or death situation. The stress of trying to find transportation can just be overwhelming. And some just give up, so they just don't go to their treatment because they, they just can't find a way to get there. One man from Kamloops who used the Wheels of Hope service for a total of 13 round trips during his treatment in Kelowna says the service was a major help and very appreciated, but it wasn't always available. Even like today, um, I didn't have a ride back to Kamloops, presumably because of the lack of uh, drivers. My wife had to drive down to Kelowna pick me up and, and bring me back. To become a Wheels of Hope volunteer driver, head on over to cancervolunteer.ca. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna. One of the scent detection dogs working at Vancouver Coastal Health has died. Finn, the Springer Spaniel, passed away on Tuesday of an unexpected illness. He and his canine colleagues worked to advance research around COVID-19 scent detection although field work to find the virus hadn't started with the dog teams yet. Coastal Health says Finn was an energetic, hard-working dog who will be missed by his team. Still to come, a Surrey man's mini-museum. They're from Calcutta, they're from Afghanistan. So they are like uh, living objects. His expansive collection, three decades in the making, and why he wants to share it with the public. And Art in the City, the Vancouver Mural Festival, returns to a wall near you. The Vancouver Mural Festival is back with new public art and 11 days of block parties starting today. This summer, 50 artists are bringing more than 30 new murals on giant canvases to eight neighborhoods across the city. The annual free event will host daily mural tours and live painting sessions at the new City Centre Festival Hub. The former City Centre Motel at Main Street and 6th Avenue is now home to 75 artist studios, which will be open to the public on the weekends. One artist is painting a mural for Jewish family services because she admires their volunteer work. I wanted to create something that um, reminds them of the lineage of their community service and the compassion for people and the service that they give to the people who are in need. It's so often been uh, behind closed doors or not very accessible, and so we're really aiming to 
put it in people's faces and, and help people interact and explore and, and really appreciate and enjoy uh, what art can do. The Vancouver Mural Festival will close on August 14th with an all-ages street party on the Granville Promenade. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at that weather forecast. I've really been enjoying this cooler weather, Christy. I know a lot of people have much easier for sleeping, that's for sure. A little easier for the forest firefight as well, but temperatures are about to soar. I just want to give you perspective of how cool it was today in some areas. As an example, in Williams Lake, only warming up to 13 degrees. We're talking about 7 degrees below seasonal for this time of year. Now, we are going to see one more cooler day. That's tomorrow before temperatures soar over the weekend. And in terms of rainfall that we saw today and lightning strikes, that is all going to shift out overnight also. So a clearing sky on the way for our region tomorrow, although some areas may see a little bit of cloud cover in the morning, but otherwise sunshine and that sun is here to stay for the next five days, everyone. The far north, though, as you can see, some cloud cover shifting in with rainfall on the way, but that's really just confined to the far north. Now, today we had generally a westerly flow across the region and that blew the smoke towards the east. Now, winds are going to ease off overnight tomorrow, more of a northerly flow, but far less wind, so only about 20 kilometers an hour. So that means that the smoke will be quite thick in and around the fires, but generally being pushed towards the south. And then as that upper level ridge builds, we'll continue to see the impact of that smoke as it's not dispersed very much in the coming days, particularly end of the weekend into Monday and Tuesday. That's when we could see very hazy, smoky conditions. Now there's your forecast for your Friday. Lots of summer-like weather on the way. Enjoy it, that's for sure. Fire danger rating, though, will quickly climb. Although it's come down a little bit today, we are going to see that quickly climb, especially with no rain in the forecast for the next five days. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Vancouver Island, where this is the Centennial Beach area. Gorgeous shot from Richard. Uh, sorry, this is not Vancouver Island. My mistake. This is the Boundary Bay Centennial Beach. My mistake. Gorgeous part. I actually went there not too long ago, and it's a beautiful beach to visit. So back to you. Certainly is. Thank you, Christy. Well, tomorrow marks the return of the Abbotsford International Air Show. It is the air show's 60th year of operation, as well as its first full show since before the pandemic. Plenty of military and civilian planes will be taking to the skies from August 5th to 7th. But there is one notable group that won't be there. The Snowbirds had to cancel their appearance after one of their planes crashed in Fort St. John Tuesday. Fortunately, no one was hurt in that accident. This year's air show will also feature fireworks, a drone light show, and 14 acres of ground attractions. All right, uh, Barry DeLay is in for Squire tonight. Yeah, my neck is sore just thinking of the air show. Jay Janner went up with the um, Red Bull pilot. Would you do that? Uh, no, no. I, I'll take the train. If there's a train show, I'll, I'll take the train. You and Squire will stay close to the ground. I like to keep my feet on the ground. Yeah, that's for sure. So, but uh, not a lot of good news for the Whitecaps. They have been hit by a sudden COVID outbreak. Six players, including a couple of key ones, will not play tomorrow night versus Houston. I think it brings our group closer together, you know, in and, and, and tough times. We'll tell you who exactly is going to miss tomorrow's crucial matchup at BC Place versus the Dynamo. Also tonight, a room full of history, a Surrey man's rare collection, and how he's ready to share it with the public.
Okay, so the white caps, mm. COVID. A little unexpected uh, onion in the ointment, as we used to say back an in the 50s. An onion in the ointment. A little bit of an onion in the ointment for the white caps. Maybe they need ointment that they can treat each other. All right, thanks, Soph. It's uh, not like the Whitecaps needed uh, another hurdle in their way to get into the MLS playoffs. Today, they revealed a COVID outbreak in the team. The Caps say that six players are on the MLS health and safety protocols list and won't be available for tomorrow night's key matchup at BC Place against Houston. Midfielder Andres Kubas and forward Christian Dahomey are among those on the list. The Caps have struggled in games without Kubas controlling the midfield. Brian White is also out, but with a rib injury. So a few big pieces missing. Caps have just 11 matches left. They're 11th place in the West. Only the top seven get in. If all goes well, those affected players would miss just one game, but every point right now is crucial. You know, obstacles happen. Uh, our group is no stranger to adversity, no stranger to obstacles. Um, I think it brings our group closer together, you know, and in and, and tough times, you know, um, bonds get stronger. And this group has the ability to overcome those obstacles and put out big performances when it's needed. If I know something about this team, that uh, when they are in needs, they always respond very well. When they are uh, under pressure or when they... Uh, it's always been like this. I'm confident. I'm actually really confident for tomorrow that uh, uh, we're going to respond to these uh, difficulties in the best way possible. Well, one of the main reasons why Nathan Rourke has had such a fantastic season with the Lions is that his really big friends on the offensive line have kept him safe. The O-line has certainly come under fire the past couple of seasons, but it's been one of the CFL's best in 2022. No team in the CFL has allowed fewer sacks this season than the BC Lions. Quarterback Nathan Rourke has been brought down behind the line only nine times in six games. The, the sack stat is, I mean, that's not even really a stat we pay attention to. It's more of an overall group protection, which includes, includes you know, s- scrambles, hits, uh, any type of pressure. Okay, well, the Lions don't allow many QB pressures either. Whatever stat you want to use, the big blockers for BC have been dominant this year. There are two key parts to this group's success. The first is staying healthy. The Fab Five of Joel Figueroa, Phil Norman, Peter Godber, Suk Chung, and Ken Perkins have started each of the first six contests. You know how the guy next to you works and how he's going to see things. And, you know, with this group right now, we've been fortunate enough to stay healthy, but we also have some guys ready to step up when needed. The more that bond grows, you know, the closer you get with that guy, you know, you're going to ride for that guy. So it's like, you know each guy's tendencies, you know how each other plays, so... That does play a big role in it. The second key to the O-line success has been establishing a high standard and then holding each other accountable. The same guys are showing up early to work out or the same guys showing up to watch film after practice for hours and, and stuff like that. So just a consistent work is what I like. You can be the toughest, strongest guy in the world, but if you're not in the right position to, make the, to use that strength, it doesn't matter. And these guys are committed to putting themselves in a good spot. That trust is also required by the quarterback, and it was on full display in the Lions' last game against Saskatchewan when Nathan Rourke took all seven seconds to find a receiver, Dominic Rhymes, for the touchdown. Here, he's got a ton of time looking down the field, nowhere to go. Now he's going to dump it off. What oh. by Rhymes to the end zone, and he's here. The, the mental clock in your head is going off, um, but you're just trying to tell yourself to sit in there, to sit in there, um, and to trust those guys, and uh, they did a great job. Uh, I told them coming off the field that that, that touchdown was on them. But just because they're a quiet and unselfish group doesn't mean they don't deserve a little treat for their hard work. I think we deserve peace soon. Yeah. <laughs>
Next couple days off, you know, we might make a trip out to get some wings or something, but we'll have to put it on him, you know? And they deserve it all. So whatever, wings, pizza, both, let's do it, you know? The O-lineman love to eat. A BC golfer has won one of the most prestigious events in the world. The new space Shelly Stouffer captured the U.S. Senior Women's Open today in Alaska, winning her match play final 4-3 and three against an Australian opponent. Stouffer, who plays out of Fairwinds Golf Club, has won the last two BC Senior Women's titles and is the reigning Canadian champ as well. And now she's taken it up a notch as a USGA champ. So congrats to Shelly and her son, Brett who's been her caddy this week in Anchorage. PGA Tour Wyndham Championship, final regular season tournament, playoffs start next week. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor needs to make the cut to ensure he gets into those playoffs. This helps chip in birdie on his way to a 3-under-68. He's tied 23rd. Roger Sloan and Adam Svensson shot even. Sloan likely needs a top three to get into the playoffs. The star today, American John Huh. This is for Eagle. Part of a career-low 9-under-61, huh, has a two-shot lead over Sung J.M. of South Korea. And the opening round of the uh, Women's British Open from historic Muirfield in Scotland. A blustery day, as you might expect, in Scotland. Canada's Brooke Henderson, nice par save, 1-under-70. Well-placed after winning the last major, the Evian Championship in France a couple of weeks ago. Brooke is 13th. Japan's Hanaka Shibuno is the leader. Great tee shot here at the par 3, 15th to a birdie. She is on top at uh, 665, one ahead of Jessica Corda. But Brooke Henderson once again in the mix for another major championship. That's it for sports. Good for her. All right. Thanks, Barry. Up next is Surrey Man's love of history that he's ready to share with the public. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead at Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, we're going to take a closer look at the political back and forth surrounding the tent city on Hastings Street. It seems almost everyone agrees this is an unlivable, unsustainable situation, but there's a lot of finger-pointing about which agency, which level of government should carry the ball. Today, Mayor Kennedy Stewart put out a statement calling on the federal and provincial governments to step up with more money for housing. Tonight, the province has responded saying the city had already been told that housing was limited, particularly on short notice. So while the politicians argue there are people caught in the middle, and we'll have more on that tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? Unfortunately, often the case. Yes. Thank you, Jordan. A Surrey man has amassed thousands of rare books and artifacts documenting sick history. And some of them will soon be free to view online. In tonight's This is BC, Jada Rand has the story behind Raj Singh Bandal's personal museum and his dream of one day opening the doors to the public. It's a collection that has taken almost three decades to build. Rare metals, maps, artifacts, volumes of all kinds, some dating as far back as 1696. When uh, anyone asks me, uh, what do you have? I always say, some books. When they slide this door and they enter, they say, this is not what you told us. Uh, Tunic buttons and uh, some figurines. uh, Raj Bandal estimates he has over 2,000 items in his personal mini-museum. They're from Calcutta, they're from Afghanistan. So they are like uh, living objects. Uh, there is a story behind them. Uh, every single item has a story. 
Driven by a desire to learn about his history, Bundal started scouring antique stores, flea markets, even yard sales, while keeping an eye on online auctions around the world as part of his ongoing treasure hunt. It makes me feel like a kid too. I used to collect marbles, fly kites. Uh, so it's not the same thing, uh, but uh, it's similar in a way. Uh, these medals, uh, they belong to Kamal Ram. It's taken up a lot of his free time. At home and with my friends, I'm driving them nuts. So they are asking, can you do something else? He's made some priceless finds over the years. This is uh, signed by the last king of uh, Sikh kingdom, Dilip Singh. Now a large part of the collection is being transferred online so others can learn. Wanjara Nomad doesn't take donations and it's free for anyone to use. So if they want to read about it, they can. And that's what the reader's like, oh, I didn't know. It's great that we're learning about it. So there are comments and there are questions coming in. We have a phone line. One day, Bandel plans to find a public space and open the doors to anyone who wants to browse his collection. A legacy to leave behind so this history will always live on. I see myself as just as a caretaker. Uh, I'm not an intellectual or very learned person, uh, but um, I'm taking care of these things. To preserve, learn and share. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. <laughs> <laughs> the train is in Christie's neighborhood, wow, it sounds like. That was timing. <laughs> Christy, there's a train there. I'm not sure if you were aware, but can you hear us? Oh no, can't hear it. I can't even hear it at night when it goes by and roar is almost, it feels like right through my house. But <laughs> uh, sorry everyone. Yes, the train just went by, but uh, overall we've got lots of summer to enjoy. So uh, look forward to it. But for the Okanagan, that will mean smokier conditions. So be really careful when you're enjoying the great outdoors. Tooting her own horn again. Look at that. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. At this time every day. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching everyone. Have a good night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.